And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. We talk so much about what it takes to build a successful tech company. In fact, we've even been having a 52-part series about how to build one. And with that, one thing we didn't include are the biggest mistakes that SaaS companies are making, have made, and usually do make, and they all fit in the same box. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And before we get too far into who I'm going to talk about that with and all of the great stuff we will talk about today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably, and also hoping to help you avoid some of the biggest mistakes that SaaS companies make. Oh man, there are so, so many. Joining me today, I've got Dimitri Pizarro, and he is the founder of Business Jetpack and The Conversion Whisperer. You can go to businessjetpack.com or conversionwhisperer.com and learn more about what he does. There are links in the show notes straight out of Denver, Colorado. Dimitri, welcome to Startup Hustle. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you joining me. I'm excited for today's topic because no one loves talking about mistakes more than us on Startup Hustle. One thing that isn't a mistake is me asking you to give us a little bit of background and a little bit about your backstory. So let, let, let's hear it. You know, I, I feel like uh, most marketers never have a linear path to what they're doing. It's always by accident or them being you know, forced into learning about it. Um, I moved from Ukraine with my family when I was nine to Chicago, and uh, the computer became my best friend. I didn't speak English, but I you know, loved nerding out, Usenet, DC++, all that stuff, figuring out how the internet works. Um, by 13, I started making money online, got really big into direct response, advertising, copywriting, and better understanding the psychology of how people buy. Um, and then, yeah, over the last 20 years, just been focusing on serving clients who are doing cool stuff and criteria is they got to be cool themselves, open-minded, easy to work with and doing great things. So yeah, that's the skinny. Well, much like yourself, I'm used to working with a ton of different SaaS companies, both from the client perspective at full scale and also uh, from investment and having owned them myself. And you've probably got a firsthand look at you know, some of the mistakes that they make. Now, before we get started, just a quick definition, a SaaS, S-A-A-S company is, is a company that hosts an application and makes it available to customers over the internet. SaaS stands for software as a service. This infers that the software sits on the SaaS company's server while the users access it remotely. It's usually a recurring revenue model. You guys get it. But, you know, before we get too far into this, I mean, what's your basic overview about where SaaS companies mess up? Um, so there's, there's three things that I'm always noticing when we're, uh, talking to founders. Um, and you know, I think it's important that these aren't taken as a blanket statement. Sometimes there is an outlier. Sometimes there is 
a right fit for doing this very same thing. Like step one is uh, forcing a demo is the first next step, right? Sometimes when people come to the site, um, they're expecting a demo. However, if, you know, th this is one of the things that we, I'll talk about a little bit more in just a little bit, um, meeting your prospect where they are in the journey, right? So if their journey is their not problem aware, they're talking about symptoms, they're frustrated, they're looking how to improve something, but they haven't yet heard someone else state the problem clearly, concisely, where it's just still rumbling around in their head, a demo is probably not the next best step for them. So that's the, that's the first thing. So when it comes to that, and I, I don't disagree, I mean, uh, the, you just how you're wording, uh, the solution that you offer. I, I, I think I was just talking with my own staff about this recently. I think too many people, they make it about them, meaning like, here's our features. No one cares about your features. People care about your benefits. So you have to speak mm -hmm. to the solution that you provide. Like at, you know, at, well, I'll give you an example at Fullscope. Are you having a hard time finding developers? I, you know, people hear that and that's what we help people solve. So it resonates. Lead with the need, as my book editor loves to say, lead <laughs> with the need. Otherwise, you're not speaking the language of the person. I mean, that's going to get someone's attention. I think marketing just general marketing, whether you're at the site or not, is the same thing. All right. You said you had three. What's another one? Well, so have you heard about Eugene Schwartz? No. So he's a famous copywriter and uh, Breakthrough Advertising is one of his books. I consider it a Bible. Um uh, for, you know, for what it's worth. Um, and in there, he describes the problem awareness states. So there's five stages. The first one is not problem aware. People don't know what the problem is. They're, they're mainly talking in symptoms. I'm frustrated with, you know, I can't believe, uh, you know, this is how it's making me feel. The next step is problem aware. Now they understand that, Hey, finding, for example, finding a developer is pretty difficult, right? And maybe I just need a uh, a process to follow. Maybe there's, there's a better way for me to approach it, a framework. The next step is solution aware. Okay. Well, there's actually a process that I got to use to qualify them. Uh, maybe what I do is I make them answer a few questions up front. So now I have a solution. Then I find out there's vendors that actually do this. So it's not just me being able to do it myself, but I can rely on someone else to help me whether it's full scale, Upwork, Freelancer, they all have their pros and cons. And it's not until they've gone through and have experienced something that they're fully aware, right? So we have not problem aware, problem aware, solution aware, vendor aware, and then fully aware. And the mistake that most SaaS companies make is they try to talk to those people as if they're in the same group. The analogy that I use is as a car guy, if you're driving along the street and your car's pulling a little bit to the right, you might have an alignment issue. But until you've experienced that, no sign that's on the side of the road saying free alignment is going to pull you in. A better sign would be car steering funny, right? Because when you see a sign that says uh, free alignment check, that's already speaking to the problem that, hey, your alignment's out of whack. Instead of saying, speaking to what they're experiencing, the not problem aware, but more of the symptoms of frustration, you're able to pull that person in and say, Hey, car steering kind of funny, let us help you. 
the same thing with SaaS is people speak to the solution, but they speak to the solution without first confirming that that person actually knows what the problem is and validating their perspectives, their frustration, the fact that they're not the only ones that, that are going through this. You know, come join the family, the, the community of others who are solving this very same problem. Um, you know, and what this comes back to, Matt, are the landing pages that people build, right? Because they'll send traffic to the homepage. And that's one of the other points is sending traffic to the homepage from paid, paid media isn't necessarily the best way of doing it because you're not segmenting. You're kind of saying, walk in through the front door and find out what you like best rather than bring them, bringing them to a page that perfectly meets the continuity of what the ad is talking about, creates a better experience. Yeah, well, the context that you're putting this out in, I think goes both ways, not only for the messaging and like, all right, if your software doesn't solve a problem, your software sucks. It's that simple. <laughs> if it doesn't solve a problem, it doesn't have value. It doesn't create, so you have to solve someone's problem. So first off, you talk about the, you know not being problem aware. Don't assume that the people that are looking for the solution that you offer know that that's the solution or that they even really truly understand the problem that they have. I, I think that that's a big assumption. And then I think the same thing goes for the company. Don't assume that you have all the solutions that you need as a software company. So I'm gonna kind of mix some of this in so we don't just end up with, with an episode that's all about kind of marketing centric, because these things fly both ways. So for example, raising capital, doing, doing it too late or not at all. That's an example of not understanding your own solution and not being problem aware. Cause if you don't, if you haven't done it before at your business, and I think that's, this is one of the problems that SaaS companies have and it fits into the not problem aware uh, is we know we need to raise capital or we have decided that VC or institutional or investor money is inherently evil. Therefore we don't want right. it. And, you know, so some of that is not being aware of the issue, but then I see companies get a real short runway and they're like, Oh, we better raise some money. But because they're not problem aware or solution aware, they don't realize that that's, probably a multi-month process for most and then they die on the vine because they think oh this can't take that long everyone's going to want to line up and give me a check well in that case you know you're raising capital is a big thing because here's the thing is when you run out of it it's game over so i mean yeah that definitely all fits into there now when you talk about like vendor aware or fully aware Where's the difference there? Because I feel like we use full scale as an example. So maybe your problem is your team, which, by the way, is another mistake that a lot of, of uh, SaaS companies make is they don't build an organizational depth. So they lose like one or two people because, dude, it's competitive out there. And now they're fucked because they don't have they've lost a bunch of institutional knowledge and and stuff like that. So there's like you said, there's vendors and places that you can fix, but is fully aware, like when you really understand the pluses and minuses of all of them, rather than just that there's vendors that can do it. I, I think just, just one, right? Like you have to have experienced one of them. So there's the, the four tiers of clients that we like to um, share and that we, we use in our uh, agency is someone who has tried and failed and hired and failed is our number one person. That that's our prospect that we want to go after. Someone who has 
hired and failed but has not tried is the next on the tier. The third is someone who has tried but hasn't tried and failed but has not hired. And the reason two is two and three is three is because in two, someone who has hired and failed but has not tried has actually put money towards solving the problem. Whereas the person who has tried and failed but has not hired, they still haven't gotten around to actually investing into the solution of the problem. The last tier is the one that we don't really pay much attention to, but is an important one is someone who has not tried and has not hired in relationship to solving a problem. The only two ways to get through those uh, tiers is education and experience, right? So if somebody goes through and works with someone and realizes, hey, my expectations weren't met. They promised me the world, but I just got a little bit of dirt. They understand that it's not just about having a formal outline. It's not just about knowing what you want or having a plan of action. There's miscommunications, there's deadlines, milestones that could be missed. And it's more than just them having a solid plan of action. So when they see that a vendor doesn't deliver and you're a vendor that does, or you're a founder that does, and you're pitching to someone and you have the history of having gone through and launched successful startups, you now have more credibility. You're an easier person to do business with. Well, you mentioned education plus experience. I think uh, experience as a business owner, a startup founder, an entrepreneur is akin to education over time. And I, yeah, I want to put a little add on to that because I think that's great. You know, it, until you've done it, a lot of people, you know, as you grew up, you hear all these limiting thoughts or like, well, I don't have any experience. None of us did until we did. Okay. So mm -hmm. get over it create your own experience if you need to. But one of the dangerous things along the way is I think that people try something once and it doesn't go the way that they want, or they hear someone else say, Hey, it didn't work for me. And now they've made this widespread assumption. Um, so, you know, I'm in the business of helping people build teams of offshore developers. Uh, if you listen to this show, you know that. And I talk to people all the time. They're like, well, we did offshore once and it was a disaster. I'm like, this is there's 7 billion people on the planet. Like just cause one experience. So what'd you learn from that? What was, and invariably it was probably not being vendor or fully aware about where you choose or what you're looking for. But those things occur related to communication or setup or something like that. So take what you've learned and now move forward with it. I mean, the one thing I've learned is that there's smart people everywhere. You just have to, uh, you have to have an ability to understand who's a good fit for you. And, you know, another thing I think that SaaS companies make mistakes with is trying to, well, the proverbial square peg in the round hole. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you're a founder like me, you're going to get the peg in the round hole because I just grab a sledgehammer and slam it in. You know, that's like grind it till it fits. Right. So, I mean, I'll get that. The square peg does fit in the round hole with me. It's a sloppier outcome. But, you know, but some of that is, you know, trying, like I said, trying to, I don't know, just whatever your solution is, you think you have one. There's probably like 17 options. And you're just assuming that, that some don't, that's called pigeonholing in the world of sales. You're like, this person is going to be a shitty client. And you're like, why? I don't know. I just, I looked at their website and you know what? Sometimes you can tell that, but sometimes you look at it and I've had some salespeople that have had some real weird criteria for why a, a lead is good or not. None of which were based on anything that fell under education or experience. 
Yeah, knowing who your who your client is and and the criteria and um, how we create them is is really interesting. You just mentioned something that <clears throat> you know I think is worthwhile as we're speaking to entrepreneurs and speaking to people who are. Uh, probably not just going to have one go at it, right? The thing with entrepreneurship is anything else. Um, you 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 grow as you learn and as you experience and as you fail. Um, it's important to take things away from that and realize that that's not the end. It's not time to uh, get ready to go again. Not to fold everything up and you know close it and lock it and say, okay, maybe this wasn't. Maybe I'm not cut out for it. You know, whenever we're launching a campaign, the second best thing that can happen is we don't get the outcome that we wanted, right? Because the lessons from not meeting your hypothesis, not not meeting the expectation that you had is just as valuable. You're able to say, okay, that's not going to work. Let me go back and choose a different route. And what's the lesson that we learned from this? So I think failure or feedback, right? Accelerating feedback, accelerating the way that we're able to get information back and re do course adjustments is just as important. We just have to put a positive spin on it instead of being like, oh, I can't believe this didn't work. I, you know, it's a failure. I'm a failure. Um, yeah. So keep, keep at it, entrepreneurs. That's how you grow. Well, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, that was timely to mention that most entrepreneurs have had or owned one business because uh, we have a, a Facebook community for Startup Hustle. There's 2,300 people in it right now. And last night I asked how many different businesses do you or have you had ownership in? Let me give you a few of these answers because you mm -hmm. got about 30 comments, you know, with 12 hours later. Eight, seven, three, 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 eleven, none, two, five, two, five, three, three, two, four, two. You know, I'm just like, I mean, that's everyone's had multiple. Um, sometimes we can't help it. And then sometimes we just move on. I think that uh, I had to, someone asked me what a serial entrepreneur is the other day. And I said, someone who fully understands that they are unemployable. <laughs> I, mean, I like that. Like you got to go, you got to go do it yourself. I mean, that's, that's me. Um, that doesn't mean that I have to open 12 businesses, but you know, there's, there's a lot to it. So, okay. So we had forcing the forcing the demo and, you know, I, I want to kind of go back. Do you talk about so much about the, the lack of success or uh, attempts being kind of half-hearted? And before I get into that, once again, I'm here with Dimitri Pizarov, the founder of Business Jetpack and the Conversion Whisperer. There are links in the show notes to that. Uh, while we're at it, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So um, I'm going to go all the way back to like a very rudimentary thing. I think software companies inherently fail because they often wait too long to start trying to sell their anything uh, and trying to get any kind of understanding about who their real audience or buyer is. And uh, I see this a lot because in tech, um, a lot of times you get co-founders and they get obsessed with nothing but the product. The, the thing mm -hmm. is, though, is it's the buyers that tell you what you need in your product and um, trying to wait until the product's ready and then figuring out how you're going to sell it and market it um, is usually a really shitty decision because uh, you can't figure things out. You don't know what you're you don't get any client feedback. Your well, customer feedback is is often nil. Um, and you get in a situation where you got to throw a whole lot of money at things. Now, one of the comments I hear, I've heard a lot of people make, they're like talking about 
you know, any kind of digital advertising. And they're like, I tried it and it didn't work. I'm like, well, tell me about that. Well, I got like 300 clicks to my ad and no one bought anything. Sounds like the ad did a great job and whatever you had on the other side of it sucked or you put the ad in front of the wrong people. The ad's job is to get clicked. The social media post job is to get clicked. The blog article's job is to get found and then get clicked. So, you know, some of that is, is still related to that voice or lack thereof um, and just really waiting too long. Now you're the conversion whisperer. So I, I'm really interested to hear what your reaction is to my commentary about the CPC ads. It's their job to get clicked. Isn't, am I right? Absolutely. And continuity is king, right? What's the, what's the ad promising, right? A lot of times people put some sensationalistic uh, headline on the ad and then bring them to a page that has like 65 different things that the person needs to do. Uh, they make it difficult to figure out like what, what problem is this solving? How are you going to help me? What guarantee can you make? How soon will I experience that value? And what's the next step? Right. So um, it, it's it's experience. Right. I mean, and the thing is, is whoever puts that um, campaign together sees that there's validation. People are clicking uh, depending on which platform they're using. If they're using Google, which is a search intent based or if they're using Facebook, which is an interruption based marketing, you can figure out, you know, how to um, how to position the message in a way that meets your audience where they are. If someone's scrolling past, you know, political nonsense or their friends, uh, you know, weekend photos or cats, um, you know, maybe, maybe cater your message to the way that it'll interrupt someone. Um, you know, don't just put a testimonial up, highlight a pain point. You know, are you tired of uh, dealing with developers that let you down? How about that for an ad? That'll stop so someone in their tracks. Right. Um, I, I also, I also really favor simplicity and I've yeah. used this as an example a bunch. So the, one, the, there's an ad that, that helped the traction of this podcast in like monumental ways. And it's simple. And if you're listening, I bet you found us because of this. It literally just says a podcast for entrepreneurs. That's it. Like, what else do you need to know? It's a podcast for entrepreneurs Click it, listen to it. If you like it, hang out. If you don't, we have a money back guarantee. Have always had one and always will. It's free. Move on. You don't like it. We're not doing it for you. We get it. But it's a podcast for entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, people have asked me, like, who listened to your podcast? It's got to be entrepreneurs because my own wife won't even listen to the show and she's not an entrepreneur. So that doesn't surprise me in that regard. Um, you said something that you talk about like a landing page or an experience or a homepage or a pamphlet, yeah. anything that is overcrowded, usually with features. It's like features, features, features. Now, quick acronym, F-A-B, features, advantages, and benefits. If any, the A and the B need to follow the F if that ever exists. But I think the thing that's really important to remember is that a confused mind almost always says no. So if you overcrowd, it's, it's, you don't have to have everything on the page. You're, you know, the whole goal of the funnel is to move someone in the process. Now that goes with the sales process, the marketing process, the hiring process, uh, building your, you know, account-based marketing, any of it, you don't need to overwhelm them because no one wants to read your 65 point bullet list do you want to read it because i don't yeah um 
you know, there's 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 a school of thought where you have these di- like long form direct response letters, and those work exceptionally well uh, further on in the funnel once someone has already you know pre-qualified themselves as having uh, budget authority, need, and timing, and now you're just you know following up with that um, you know powerful sales letter. Um, it might be best that you just have them download a uh, you know a few case studies of how this product helps people in their shoes achieve what they're looking for. Um, you know, having a feature there so you can what, right? Like uh, a shiny widget, what does that allow me to do better? How does that help me? How does that save me time? How does that allow my team to have more synergy and avoid miscommunications and allow the, allow the process to move, you know, from person to person without me needing to be involved? Um, yeah, a lot, lot of stuff, a lot of great stuff there. Um, I want to go back to the the perfection, right? Uh, as a recovering perfectionist myself, I've, I've made that mistake <laughs> too many times, you know, making sure that it's perfect before it goes live. Right. And oh, that's... dude. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be the, don't be the business owner that never opens the front door because you're too busy cleaning the store. Yeah. I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that guy never get, he never, he never, he didn't do very well because he never be opens perfect. the store. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be clean. Yeah. What yeah, would you rather have a messy store with empty shelves because everyone bought it or a store that looks pristine with the front door locked? <laughs> yeah, definitely the first. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's a focal point of, of mistakes that SaaS companies make is I was just on a call earlier today and I, I try to do what I can when and where I can to give other entrepreneurs good advice. And, you know, well, I'm going to come with two things here. One, per add value. I get on a call with someone and I just try to give them the advice that I can give based on my experience, my education, uh, and doing what I do. And if they choose to do business with me afterward, great. But I'm also trying to figure out if I want to do business with them. And, you know, that, and I think that that is, is, is big. Um, There, you can create a level of trust that is important and that communication and transparency, like, I mean, life's too short to have shitty clients and users. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. is, at least it is for me. And, you know, overall, if you don't think you can add value, don't tell people you can You know, you talk about like these sensational promises, solve the world's crises in five minutes and one click with a free 30 day trial. Sign me up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm already in. I just onboarded pretty quickly. But but yeah, I mean, when it comes to the, to the, um, you know, errors that SaaS companies will make is remember, like, once again, it's the benefit of what you provide. And, and the second part of that is don't, don't uh, down, don't downplay weird little intangible things like peace of mind. Peace of mind is huge. Without peace of mind, nothing else has much flavor. So, you know, so some of it is, and, and that can also prop up your value. So here's a third thing, and I'll hand it back over to you. Now, also understand your value proposition and what it's worth, because I think that early people are a lot of times aren't confident in that. They don't know what they're selling. They don't know the value of it, and when, okay, so today the price is 5,000 and then tomorrow it's 4,500 and then it's 4,000 and then it's 3,500. And now I'm on the other line wondering, so you would have just taken me as a sucker at five grand a month when I, if I would have just been a pain in the butt three days later, it's 30% off, like pick a price and stick with it. 
and have valid and justifiable reasons for coming off of that. I mean, overall, the value that you're providing shouldn't be dynamic in that regard. Like today, yeah. it's worth this. Tomorrow, it's worth that. Don't sabotage yourself by cutting down the price. You know, and I, I think it, it, it depends on where you are in your in, in the runway of, of getting the business going. Because in the beginning, it's all about getting the clients, right? It's not so much the quality of the clients, but it's just getting the recurring revenue up and kind of having this manic obsession with, hey, I just need to get more clients. I need to get more clients. And then you take a look and you've just built a toxic community of people who don't respect you. They don't value you. They don't use the product properly. They complain. They don't read instructions or they don't follow guides. And then, you know, you're like, all right, uh, next time we do this, we're going to be a little bit more selective, right? And, and not just take anyone who walks through the door. And I think that's something that's earned with time, that perspective, just like you said, with peace of mind, um, peace of mind isn't, isn't something that's necessarily valued. I feel like in the beginning, right? Cause it's all about results. It's like, oh no, I'll give up my sleep. I'll give up time with my family. I don't need to hang out with my friends as long as I have revenue. And then you kind of get a little bit along the way and it's like, all right, well, uh, maybe these other things, this, you know, work life balance, which is an interesting topic in itself. Maybe this work life balance is something that I should respect a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting. Points. I wrote a, I wrote a book. I wrote a book on that. And, yeah. you know, and I don't believe that there's two categories. I think you have personal, professional and physical. We all have a sustainable balance. And the longer that that's out of whack, the greater the chance that whatever category of those three you're under investing in is going to come back to create that balance for you. Just meaning like if you're just like 90%, 95% is professional, your physical life's going to suffer. Your personal life's going to suffer. And try to put 95% in when you're in a hospital bed or your wife is leaving you or your kids have turned into assholes because you are an absentee parent. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's, that's an example of it coming back. And I think the same thing goes like it, you can almost apply some of that to the scenarios you mentioned. Like if you're desperate for clients and you're just bringing people in, uh, well, first off, people smell that and take advantage of it. But another thing, too, is like, it's, I think that's okay in the beginning. We did a lot of that at full scale because we wanted to figure out who we could provide the most value to. That's right. Now, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of firing clients, too. I mean, I've done it. And it's not, I mean, I, it's not because we just want to or we're being greedy. It's because they are doing something to detract from the peace and harmony in our universe. You know, try to do so it in a graceful scale, way too. Yeah. Right. Well, some, yeah. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, like, and, but the real question is why, and for us at full scale, the it's only happened a few times, but it's, you know, sometimes we just run into situations where it just felt really one-sided. And the main reason for us to fire a client would be they're not treating our people well. Yeah. That's huge. Our, at full scale, our people is our, are our biggest asset. I mean, we only hire one in 40 applicants. So if some, if, if we have a, a, a shitty client that's pushing our people out the door and we can spot that pretty quick. And some of it, we just learned to ask, we just survey and ask, you know, how, how are you feeling about this? Because the reality is, is no one wants to show up and work in a toxic environment themselves. So there's a lot of toxicity and maybe we need to, that needs to be on the list of biggest mistakes that SaaS companies are making is allowing toxicity. Yeah. Right now, I think there's uh, like the there's some formal name or some you know uh, cute name that they came up with for uh, what's happening with people quitting their jobs 
because they want to work on their terms. They, you know, got to spend more time with their families during COVID. And now they're like, well, I'm not going to, you know, trade 60 hours of my life per week for a measly paycheck when I know I can make more money online. So that culture becomes pretty important. It's way different. I know that much. I mean, we've talked yeah. a lot about that. So I, I, I actually, and, and you know, here, here's, here's part of this. And this is where you could be making a mistake as a SaaS company, especially if you're growing quickly, you got to talk to your people. I mean, just talk to them as, you know, I, I have 203 employees in the Philippines and I can tell you what every single one of them does. I can tell you who they work for too. And that's, and I, and, and I, I have my staff quiz me on that occasionally because I want them to see that that matters. Uh, dude, do you know how much social capital that accumulates for me within my own company? It's like not, is, you know, a, a manager lets you know that they are important. A leader makes you feel important. And, yeah. you know, without the people in our company, they're the ones that earn the revenue. Like, I'm like, they're like, they're like, yeah, I work for you. I'm like, no, dude, I work for you. It's my job to find you better clients, better everything, and to go to bat and also be a champion. Like, I don't back the fuck down, man. You want to get in a fight in the middle of Main Street? Let's do it. Because if it comes <laughs> to protecting my people, I'm on it. Like, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my fam, man. That's my squad. Yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I'm up at the front taking the flaming arrows in my chest and taking swings and doing stuff like that and holding the shield up so the arrows don't come down on everyone else. And, I mean, I think that that's a leadership and a culture thing. And, and I think that that's really important. So, you know, let's add that to our really long list of mistakes that, that SaaS companies make. We, we got to protect our team, right? Um, Jeff Walker was at this event that I did recently, and he was talking to, totally unrelated to the presentation that he was giving. He said, success is supporting your team, right? And I think that's really interesting yeah. because it's not having your team support you. It's supporting your team, giving them the resources that they need. But also from a fulfillment perspective, not such a big deal with SaaS companies, but uh, service as a software companies, for example, uh, where their people have to do things. And if they don't have an assembly line because the founder gets involved in everything, they're the toll booth for every decision, every variant that slows down the team. So if you're the toll booth for your company and uh, the buck has to pass through you, you can't can't really support your team. Matt, you know, another, another point on talking to your people, I, talking I, I've to had your, problems. Yeah. I've had problems with that, by the way, in the, in the past and meaning like, you know, cause the, our company grew so fast. We had a hundred employees after a year. So it was, you know, going from being involved in a lot of decisions to being like, how I got to get out of these. And yeah. a lot of that uh, was solved by just simply really empowering people to make more decisions. And then two things. One, I created what I call the rule of yes, which is if you think I'm going to say yes, 90% of the time, don't ask and I'll deal with the 10% of the time you're wrong. And also letting people know that I understood, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Right yeah. now, there's a progressive scale that goes with that, because when you're making the same simple mistake, the fifth, sixth and seventh time, now I'm beginning to question things. But once or twice, it happens. And that's part of it. I'd rather have people that are going for it and learning from it. But once again, when I said when you're back to that sixth or seventh time for something simple, I'm wondering if you're paying attention, if you're qualified or if you care. So yeah. continue on with what, what else you had there? Yeah, no. So talking to people, right? Um, talking to your team is important. Talk to your clients, right? So one of the important things that we do when we're, when we're setting up, a, so at, at um, Business Jetpack, we do traffic, 
funnels and email nurture sequences for people that don't opt in right away, right? So it's it's this comprehensive uh, demand generation solution. And one of the things that we do when we're building out our funnels is we actually interview people who have just recently closed, people who've been on board with you for, you know, let's just say a period of time, depending on how old your company is. And then we talk to people who didn't quite make it across the finish line, people that were engaged in the proposal process, but for some reason dropped out. And we do this to get a better understanding for what was it that stopped them in their tracks? What was it that, um, for example, for the people that converted, what did they believe the software was going to do for them? And what did it actually do? How did they experience it? How, how do they talk about it? That's all marketing nuggets of gold. Because you take what they it's tell usually, you. It's usually something simple and stupid too. Like, you know, I went, through this with, I went through this with Gigabook. So Gigabook is like people like, oh, that's like Calendly. No, not really. It's like the complete opposite of Calendly because it's intensely customizable. So I think that understanding that your strengths and your weaknesses hold hands and walk down the street is uh, the utmost important. So, uh, so how does that apply? Well, when something's highly, highly customizable, that means it can take a while to set up. There's a lot of places with bells, switches, levers. We had to consolidate that, but really it came back to our onboarding. And it, you know, if someone wasn't going to take five to 10 minutes to do our walkthrough, so they get in and, it, and, it, and everything's set up for them, um, then we don't even let them in the platform. Why? Uh, because we just did some science and found that people that didn't use our smart start uh, onboarding system. So, and that was also intelligent. So we, we really understood the setup process and just flat out skip steps. And some of that is really simple too. I think that we get caught as SaaS founders into like the form mentality. Example is asking someone what their zip code is and not making that the last field and address actually lets you fill out like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like if I know your zip code, I know your time zone, I know your currency, I, I, I know your area code, I know your state. I can make a lot of assumptions based on that, which you might change later, but I can get you in faster. And just also like, you know, I, I think that with that, when, before we did smart start, we were terrified. We were like, well, what if we lose people during onboarding? Right. Well, let's try letting some in without it. And let's try not. And literally 0% of people that didn't go through that converted. And if they did, well, not 0%, the only people that did convert were intensely involved with like live chat or something because people don't want to take that you can't it's back to making assumptions like people they didn't take the box for you well they don't know what the if okay so gigabook might serve like you might be a client okay we have an exorcist we have an exorcist <laughs> that uses gig you can book and pay for your exorcism online i think it's fair to say that guy didn't know that we had x y or z things that you could switch on so it's like I said, is you can be very clever with this stuff now and say, hey, here's this. It, okay, you selected this. Many of our users also need this. So you got to be a little intuitive and make it easy for people. I, I say this about getting help from people because I see so many people, they, they want help. And then I'm like, but you are making it really fucking hard for people to help you. Stop making it hard for people to help you and you'll get more help. Matt, you should make that exorcist guy part of your uh, campaign. Imagine that on a creative. 
Just like a little He's, reel of, they made it perfect for me. They'll make it perfect for I you. I have mentioned it so long. <laughs> I need to go give that guy a, a free lifetime gigabook account because we have definitely flexed imagine? it. And another, another, <clears throat> another thing most SaaS companies make the mistake of is not hiring an exorcist to get rid of all their platform and businesses problems. Cause you know, that's really, Oh man, it's the, the debt, right? The technical debt that's built up from switching <laughs> from one legacy to the next. That I does require, that. well, and, and let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think that that's actually important is, is a pivoting doesn't mean pivoting your tech all the time. I, 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 I think that, uh, you know, as we kind of, approach the end of this episode. And once again, today's episode of Startup Puzzles brought to you by Fullscale.io. And with me today, I have Dimitri Pizarov of businessjetpack.com and conversionwhisperer.com. There's a link in the show notes. You know, as we got into this, uh, uh, this subject, I think I quickly realized how broad this is. This might have needed to be like an eight-part series. Um, because you've got marketing, you have culture, you have hiring and firing. Leadership. You know, yeah. that's a big mistake that a lot of people make is they hang on to the wrong people and nothing will piss off your good employees more than watching you tolerate a shitty one. Um, you know, talk to everything about raising capital, uh, poor messaging. That's something that, that Dimitri's company can help you with. Uh, waiting too long to engage in the sales process. Um, I mean, there's a whole lot of different things and, you know, and I think, you know, some of that is, you know, are you willing to move fast and break things? So, you know, being focused on the wrong stuff, um, you know, like try, it's like I mentioned, you got to try to get some users to get some feedback because those get the people that will and can or could, or will be paying for what you do and see what's important to them. Don't just make the assumption that it's good to them. I see all kinds of people make all kinds of mistakes, Dimitri, like, like taking, changing the color of their buttons is, is like oh, the yeah. least, they're, they're the least important optimizing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but not, you don't even have any conversions to optimize, you know, like does your button work? Okay, cool. Don't make it bright red. If that's like a go kind of yeah. situation past that, you're overthinking it. So, splitting hairs uh, per paralysis right? by analysis yeah a lot of people will get in and start tweaking things too early on without having sufficient data and it's like just focus on serving your clients you know once you get to a certain point where you're wasting money and you're seeing that the marketing isn't converting then you could start tweaking it but like you were saying you know are you building this product for yourself or are you building it for your community for your audience let them do the talking yeah and that's and that's and that becomes uh for a lot of founders and companies kind of egocentric, you know, they're like, I believe this. Okay. Come off that. Cause it really, what matters is the clients and that you're pro you're providing value and you're providing a solution. Cause once again, if your software doesn't solve a problem, your software sucks. Matt, I can't tell you how many times I talked to the founder. Cause we interview the founder. We interview the sales team. We interview the tech team customer onboarding team to get their perspective of what value does the product provide? How does this help the company achieve what they're trying to do? And the founder always has something that is way more developed, way more technical, way more analytical than how the team thinks about it, but more importantly than how the customers think about it, because they think about it in a very simplistic way that's easy to digest. And those are the things that most people take action on new opportunities is that simple next step forward. 
not how you're going to, you know, granularly solve the attribution problem across multi-channel sales processes. It's usually a lot simpler than that. So, yeah. So you talk about the little steps going forward. Um, the other Matt, my business partner and often co-host here on the show and the, the co-founder of Fullscale, you know, he sold his first software company for 150 million bucks when he was 29. Uh, it's pretty good, good change, day, good right? Yeah. And, and once we sat down with uh, at a meeting and uh, and some this guy, he he said, "Well, that's a home run." And then he asked me about what I'd done. He goes, "Oh, so you're good at hitting singles and doubles? Uh, you can't have a grand slam if you don't get some people on base in front of you." And and you know that's the thing is is and even Matt will tell you that you we get focused on the wrong things. This acquisition for up teen gazillion dollars. Do you know how many sacrifice bunts and walks and hit by pitches and like patience and not swinging at the wrong pitches and also shaking off failure and having a very short memory that all goes into a championship season as well as how right. it's not just one person. It's a, you know, unless you're winning Wimbledon or, or like a golf tournament, there's not a whole lot of major sports that don't require, you know, championship rings have a lot of different people that participate in them. And, you know, the, and there's a lot of little things. I think if your goal needs to be to take one step forward at a time, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Right. Yeah, man. Look, look, if, if most people were to take a look at where they were 10 years ago, they'll really appreciate how much they've grown provided they're consistently focusing on improvement when we look back at, you know, last week, last month, last quarter, it's not as motivating, right? So yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, they, they say the hockey stick growth, the way that that line goes straight up. If you're standing right in front of it, it's a damn mountain. It looks steep. It's going to take some effort to climb, right? So just accept it for being difficult. Don't think it's going to be smooth. Uh, I mean, you could make it smooth by taking the worry out of all the things that are happening, but yeah, just accept. Want to know an easier way going. to make it to the top of the mountain? Helicopter. Ask the people on top to pull you up. Oh yeah, that'll help. Take some of the weight off. I mean, I I I, I, I had like that speaking to an or the oracle type moment, you know, seven or eight years ago. I was at a meeting at, in Times Square at an office that was just across the hall from the then upstart Snapchat. Um, and the guy said to me, he said, Hey Matt, you know, like you are the kind of guy that will climb the mountain regardless. You'll, I can tell you'll figure out a way, but let me give you a, a way to get to the top. Uh, that's so much easier. And he said, just ask those on top to pull you up. So spend a lot of time looking up and saying, can I get, give a, get a hand? Um, yeah, and there's so many people. Back. Yeah, there's a ton of people. I, well, that's the thing too. I've also realized is now that I'm, you know, I'm at 46 years old. My uh, my own marketing team has has be, uh, it appears to be forcing me into what in tech feels like a grandfather role. You know, they're like, you know, the, this older patron and advisor. I'm like, man, I'm not even 50 yet. But yeah, but I will tell you as, and I know my other peers that have found success will say the same thing is that there are a lot of people that help pull them up to the top of the mountain that, and you know, that not, knowledge isn't yours to keep. It's meant to be transferred and you know, there's Absolutely. that trickle down. So find, it, maybe we'll make that our last point before we do a quick founders freestyle is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, I think that 
um, there's a stubbornness amongst a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, and you know, when you go into a pitch meeting, like I, okay, 10 years ago, I mm -hmm. would have not felt comfortable telling you everything we sucked at. And I would have found a way to kind of shape the facts around our awesomeness. Um, mm -hmm. I, that's easy to do. Uh, and also not what people, people are like investors, supporters, and, you know, evangelists, uh, they want to, I mean, if you're already doing something well, they're like, okay, cool. So how do I provide value? You talk about the things you're terrible at. Like what's dude, what's something you were terrible at 10 years ago that you're good at now? Communication. In yeah, what regard? Just, just do like general, like, um, setting. So setting agreements instead of expectations, right? That's been a really big growth for me. Like if I have an expectation that you're going to do something rather than creating an agreement around it, hearing you say back what I asked of you just so I can make sure that you actually heard what I was trying to communicate and then creating an agreement around you meeting a, a timeline or an expectation and then participating in that agreement, not only leaving it to you, but making sure that I can check in with you and make sure, Hey, how's that agreement going? That's been huge. Yeah. I think for me, it's listening just, you know, I'm, I'm a natural talkative person. And, you know, if you catch capture me in my native state, I can, I can be real outgoing, but I'm a very like, I'll even go places with my wife. She'd be like, I'm just always so surprised when I hear you be so quiet. Well, cause it's how you learn. It's how you observe. It's how you figure stuff out. And for me, it's also how I don't get myself stuck into 40 minute conversations that I don't want to have. Yeah. Um, so, so with that, and kind of an ancillary piece to that is also knowing when to push or pull. Um, because you know, there's such, there's times for both. And I actually just published a video the other day that, um, and once again, kind of irritating and irking my marketing team, cause they don't want me to publish videos where I tell you that, where I tell you about how effective a strategy telling someone to fuck off can be, but it's true. It's the hot and, girl and move. So, and I, it is, man. But you know what? And I don't like doing it because I don't like getting pissed. And I even said it. I'm like in this video because I recorded myself right after I had a moment like that. And but here's the thing is, you, is sometimes. OK, so I sent that out to some of my peers. And I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, Dude, if you don't if you don't publish this, you suck. Uh, and I said, well, why? They said and it was just validating my own concerns. It's like on some of it. it well, some of my staff's like, I wouldn't want to work with you if you weren't the person that could do that if needed. Now, if you're just running around and like, you know, you're like the, you're like the sheriff that kicks open the door, shoots, and then asks for names, like that's different. Then you're just a jerk, you know, but sometimes, like I said, you got to get in a street fight on Main Street. And sometimes it's just so people know that you will or you can. Have you heard of uh, so, Dan Pena? No. So he's, he's the, a motivational speaker of a different kind. You know, he's like, get off your lazy butt. And, you know, he, he just unloads. You know, he's like, you're not successful because you're not chasing it because you're lazy. Yep. You know, yep. and um, he, he's got a that's, totally different that's approach. Me. And, yeah, and that's it, me. It, it resonates. On some, on it resonates. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it all yeah. depends on the audience. My book, Balance Me, is like that. It literally says right away, if you're not, if you, it, on, in, on like the first page, if you're not willing to admit that you might be the biggest problem you have, just put the book back. You're not going to like it. I can't help you overall because we get in our own way.
We that's do. continuity All right that. there, right? Yeah. You set expectations, yeah. and then guess what? They're hooked. Page turner. Yep. All right, so here we are uh, at the end of this episode. And thank you for joining me. It's uh, This time flew by. We might have to do a follow-up episode. Um, now, I end my episodes with what I call the Founders Freestyle. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure you tune in weekly to listen to Andrew Morgans and guests talk about e-commerce and Amazon. Tune in for Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her. They're about to have the Innovate Her Awards, which is pretty cool. Uh, Lauren leads a, a women's entrepreneur and achievement group that has over 4,000 members and talks about so many things that I'm not brave enough to talk about to the whole world on some days. Uh, those episodes are coming out. If you get a chance, head on over to YouTube, type in Startup Hustle and check out Startup Hustle TV. Getting ready to reload and recharge that with some new and fun uh videos, including great advice from me on how to tell someone to F off, uh, coming in hot on that people. So don't watch it around your kids. Um, <laughs> probably don't listen to this show around your kids either. Uh, so as I mentioned, the founders freestyle, I like to give my guests an opportunity to speak to founders, give the best advice they can, what stood out during this episode, really anything. And we actually have a guy actually freestyle. He just like laid out like, about 30 seconds of rap you know you don't have to do that but it's also not that also setting is the bar pretty high yeah pretty high dude that's one that's one person yeah. <laughs> and he, he's clearly legendary because we're still talking about it but yeah yeah uh well won't the be mic doing is yours that. sir yeah won't be doing uh, a freestyle but yeah let me just say this to uh the entrepreneurs out there keep keep struggling keep failing embrace it um, you know, no matter where you are, uh, the reality is, is that most people will be making up stories about their success and how painless and effortless it was. If you look behind the, you look behind the curtain, you'll see that really no one has any idea on what to do. They're kind of figuring it out as they go along. And like Matt said, use the people that are above you, the people that have succeeded, uh, provided you're authentic, provided you're not a douchebag, they're going to want to help you out and they'll find a way to do it. Maybe you'll need to compensate them for it. Maybe they'll do it for free. Uh, you'll just have to work around their busy schedules. You know, I guess the, the thing that what we do is right now, uh, the biggest problem that we hear from the people that we speak to is that their remarketing campaigns are not performing as well. The cost of acquisition for new clients is through the roof. The volume is down. They're frustrated about iOS 14 and 15 taken away and the privacy settings and all that stuff. And, um, you know, we've got solutions to help that. Most importantly, we help build a better bridge between your marketing and sales team, keep your sales team nice and fed and uh, give you peace of mind with a consistent, predictable source of highly qualified opportunities. So if that's something that you're interested in learning more about, reach out to me. Um, let's go ahead and get my LinkedIn added here too, because we're in the process of rebuilding the websites. So that'll be great. But yeah, keep listening to the show, Startup Hustle. Uh, I, I've enjoyed every second of this. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and then once again, Dimitri Pizarro, founder of Business Jetpack and Conversion Whisper. Links in the show notes. Uh, for me, when I look back at this episode, I think that so much of this is just all around. It, it, the, the, the discussion was centric around like understanding what you're selling and the value prop that comes with it. Um, sales cures sales. So make some sales and a lot of problems will melt away. Yeah, your software as a service company. I mean, that's really the key ingredient. Um, and remember, you have to sell stuff. Um, you can't just build a product because you, while you might raise capital and get investors and have interest, 
you eventually have to sell something and generate revenue and begin to do that better and better and better. So keep trying to do it better and better and better. Um, I, you know, another thing I have circled in my notes is the toll booth thing is don't make yourself the blocker. Um, I've had to spend a lot of time to unblock things to get myself out of the way. I'm very self-aware of when that's the case. And I, and I aggressively, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to do that because I'll tell people and then they still ask, they still ask. And sometimes I just give them tough love in the end. You know, it's like, Hey, you need to make the call. You're going to be right. You're going to be wrong. And let's just do one and see what happens. And, um, you know, making adjustments, uh, you know, the, the favorite move of many is the pivot. So, you know, if that's what you got to chase, chase the money, chase the opportunity, look where they look, where it is. Don't try. You need to be great at one or two things before you mess around trying to be mediocre at eight. And mm-hmm. that's an, another thing we see. Uh, look at so many things out there that are wildly successful. They are great at one thing. Thanks again for joining me, Dimitri. I'll catch up with My you. Pleasure, down the road. Yeah. Take care. Have a great day, everyone. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.